welcome to the Jake Feinberg show and uh, already off to a prolific start 2023, 12 years into my program. Uh, had an opportunity last week to speak to Al Cooper and Bruce Hornsby back to back. And yeah, they're big name people and they've done a lot for music and they've been at the right place at the right time and rock and roll. But it's always uh, important for me to continue to stretch my own knowledge and my own vocabulary as it relates to different kinds of art. And um, I have a chance today to speak to a cat, really a decorated illustrator and author, um, uh, somebody who's written uh, best-selling children's books, and people are still discovering them in their own tributaries today. Part of the Fuzzy Town community, Zachariah O'Hora. Welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Live well, in Fuzzy Town. Thanks for yeah, having me. Live in Fuzzy Town, man. Yo, so, um, Zachariah, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about, um, if you could, like the creative process for you. Maybe not so much now, but early on, did you, like, when did you, how did you create art in term? And what I mean by that is, um, sometimes with me, um, if I'm in the middle of something, you know, if I'm trying so hard, but there's something blocking it, I, I have a hard time stepping away. But oftentimes when I do, when I come back, a lot of stuff kind of just comes through me. And I just wonder how you learned to kind of get out of your own way to really uh, hone your craft as an, as an illustrator and an author. Sure. Uh, you know, that exact thing happens all the time um not only just like you know sort of the old writer's block or or whatever you know sometimes you just feel like oh I accidentally I'm repeating myself you know and and so you kind of have to step away from it so literally doing that and doing other things um not a musician but you know like I have a little parlor guitar around and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll bang around on that or <laughs> uh, take the dog for a walk, you know, sure. uh, that kind of thing. Like, you know, walking and doing something physical, especially walking, like that's the kind of the classic thing, right? Like somehow allows your brain to sort of still be working on a problem while your body and brain also has to focus on something else. And that seems to sort of shake some of that stuff loose. It's absolutely yeah. that that's a very good point. I just wonder about um you know like when do you feel in your not even in your career but in, when did you think you found your purpose in life? Was there a, a defining moment where it was like <laughs> I'm going to stay on this path and I yeah. may I may be a starving genius, I may be able to pay my bills, <laughs> I may be able to have a family, I don't know, but this is the only thing this is what my purpose in life is. Yeah, um, that kind of happened early on. And uh, well, it happened sort of in, it unfolded in two parts. The The first time was in third grade. Um, and this is going way back because uh, I like going I'm, way back. I like going back. <laughs> so late 70s, 1980. Around oh, there, man. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, and we had uh, like a substitute art teacher came in and it was, I don't know, just this kind of like witchy 70s woman, you know, she kind of was like, uh, you know, she looked like she should have been like, you know, uh, in Fleetwood Mac or something, you know. Yeah, Buckingham Nicks kind of thing. Totally, yeah, 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 like total Stevie Nicks, uh, except okay. she had dark hair and um, 
you know, like we were doing like something stupid, like, uh, you know, like a little kid thing where you like put a string under a piece of paper and you use a crayon and you, you know, color over the string to like make these little patterns on the paper and whatever, like, uh, choices that I made or didn't make, you know, she kind of stopped and looked at my paper and she's like, what sign are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh my god I and, uh, oh. i'm like uh i don't know what that means i'm in third grade and uh she's like well when's your birthday and i tell her my birthday and she's like oh you're a scorpio that makes sense you're an artist oh dear oh, and dear. you know just like this beautiful witchy woman with you know with like bracelets and turquoise jewelry and she smelled nice and you know it was just like oh yeah okay yeah that's right i'm an artist you know it's like that was like the first moment where it seemed like and you know like i don't know what it was but uh but the real point where it hit home and it, and it basically is like what i do today uh i went to a new school the next year in fourth grade i didn't know anybody and um i was you know like you back in the day you had to like cover your book covers you know you like you got your book from school and you don't want to mess it up because you have to return it at the end yeah, of the i totally year. remember you put paper brown paper bags on exactly. it exactly yeah i did exactly yeah you get the grocery bags you bring grocery them home, bags them on there. yeah there you go but then you got to decorate it you know like <laughs> to make it fly and um so i i started like drawing like you know smurfs and garfields like on mine sure. and like you know ufos and stuff like that and you know just always bored in school drawing and um like kind of like the most popular girl and in our class, you know, liked my Smurfs and asked me to draw on her book. <laughs> and um, I knew that like, she was like a big Michael Jackson fan or whatever. So I invented <laughs> in quotes, uh, the Michael Jackson Smurf, which is basically just a Smurf with, you know, like a, a glittery glove and sunglasses and like a leather jacket. Oh man. And, uh, I got to see you know, that picture, man. Yeah. I think I still have one around. It's, um, you know, it was like prime, like, you know, thriller had just come out. So it was like peak Michael Jackson era. Um, and then when other kids saw that on her book, they were like, yo, we want Smurfs <laughs> or Garfield's like, what up? Can you draw in our books? And, um, so I started charging them. I, we, I, uh, I, I know you probably talked to my brother, Zeph, uh, we oh, had, yeah kind of a weird childhood when a lot of ways and one of the ways is that my mom was like a crazy health nut we weren't allowed to have any sugar in the house like she didn't even cook with sugar it was like honey molasses uh maple syrup those are the only like if we went to a birthday party we weren't allowed to like eat birthday cake that's on board no i was gonna say like that's a very i mean very a lot of molasses in new hampshire you know but i still you need, yeah. a, li you need a little sugar you know i i know so you know can candy was off limit so any chance to get candy clandestinely i, I was going for it so <laughs> I started, absolutely yeah i did so i started drawing uh these store these uh drawings and like charging people like candy bars you know like for a twix or for a Reese's <laughs> peanut butter cup you know I'll, I'll draw you like a nice garfield you know with maybe with Odie the dog and oh, I did, I did. You know, oh, a couple smurfs or whatever and that was kind of like um not only was it just fun and i was getting paid in candy bars so i was like whatever this is like i want to do this for my for the rest of my life and you know pretty girls are talking to me and I, you know, kind of went from like, you know, some new kid at a school that no one knew to like a kid that knows how to draw stuff. And so that was kind of like when the light bulb first kicked on. You know, that's you know, beautiful. I mean, I and I like that it came. I mean, just going back 
I, I, you know, it's hindsight, maybe in hindsight, you'll have a better perspective on it. And you actually, you know, obviously I have, you know, we both have kids growing up in this time. And I just wonder if you can talk to younger cats specifically. I mean, do you feel like it was a benefit for you to have no technological distractions? I mean, in theory, we really, I listened, I mean, I was born in 78. And so like, I, I mean, my parents were like, you know, in Long Island in the winter, it was like mm-hmm. once I watched my TV limit, it'd be like go out in the backyard, and I had, a, exactly. you know, it was like an imagine. It was imagination, right? It, like exactly. you had to use your imagination. I just exactly. wonder if your kids, how you deal with your own kids, and what would be your advice to other parents <laughs> as it relates to like modulating the balance between imagination. I know my kids have yeah. it just because I'm a freak, but it's like. <laughs> everybody has technology it's yeah. di- we're directly connected you can create stuff essentially synthetically or artificially on sure. your phone sure. but i'm talking like pen to paper indigenous yeah. creation what would what would be your advice how do you deal with your own kids because i feel like we were blessed to grow up when we did yeah i i i feel the same way um Although, you know, I didn't really appreciate it as much as a kid. I, we grew up without t- without a TV for most of my childhood. Uh-huh. Um, even the radio was banned. So, like, we had books and boredom. And, you know, like, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. That's yeah. a great line, dude. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but boredom is, is the great, you know, yes. creative spot. Like, you have to be bored in order for your mind to work creatively um and you know kids these days and you know and i'm addicted to my phone as much as the next kid absolutely uh not having that boredom time uh doesn't allow your your brain to go where it needs to go and it's a problem i i I try to you know we we put set limits on them for you know how much screen time they can use and there's definitely you know no phones at the table during dinner and things like that but um on the other hand, uh, you know, like my kids had creative phases when they were younger, uh, but they don't really, they're not, they don't really seem to be that drawn to um, like creative endeavors. And, you know, as a parent who like does creative stuff, I'm kind of like, oh, come on, you know, like, you know, I, I want to relate to them and I want to do fun projects with them and stuff. And, um, but at the same time, like my parents weren't necessarily creative um so you know you're not you don't necessarily come out of the box uh like your parents but also i don't want to put any pressure on them especially when they're like my kid my kids are older now like they're one's a freshman in high school the other one's in seventh grade but you know when they were when they were younger in elementary school and i was making books you know we were always bringing in books and um you know giving, giving gifts to his teachers and stuff and so there was a lot of like talking in front of them, like, oh, you must be really into drawing because your dad draws. And, uh, you know, my wife's a, a, a she's a visual artist, too, and a sculptor. But we like really try not to pressure them in any way to sort of like be like us. You Dude, know? it's perfect, man. No, because you know what? The, the only time it's going to happen is when they're organically drawn to it. So that's, that's mazel, exactly. mazel tov to that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, you know, that's the thing, like, um. You know, it's just funny because, you know, Zeph and I, uh, we were texting the other day and he mentioned that uh, the great drummer, dear friend Austin Beatty from Grateful Shred, he like reached out to Zeph. He's like, yeah, you know about this, this children's book. The guy has the same last name as you. And Zeph's like, yeah, that's my (laughs) brother, man. And it's it's great because Austin's kids 
are really young. And yeah. so it's just like, I feel like, let me ask you also about like art itself. I don't care if it's yeah. great interviews, if it's music, if it's uh, illustrations. I mean, to me, there's a cumulative effect to it where like mm-hmm. it may not resonate right away or, and sure. maybe it will. But then like, you know, five years down the road, Zeph's getting reaching out. One of his bandmates is like, hey, my kids are into this book. This guy has your same last name. He's like, yeah, that's my brother. And it's just so it's like it just keeps kind of I wonder how you if you could talk about how you organically grew your brand to the point where and how you kind of disseminate the content. I mean, it's a very if you're not part of a corporate structure, then you're kind of like a one man band. Are you a one man band kind of to a degree? Yeah, I mean, I work with all different uh, publishers, you know, like all the major publishers or whatever. But you know, I'm just one guy in a studio filled with records and a and a dog, <laughs> and, you know, just uh, doing the thing. Um, mm. You know, you know what's funny that uh, you mentioned that, like uh, Zeph and I have had so many like weird synchronicities of uh, that like crossover between what seems like very separate worlds uh you know like children's book uh illustration and and the music world right um, i mean you know I, I'm very influenced by music but don't really play it myself but we've had so many moments uh in fact um like just a couple examples besides uh besides the one you mentioned uh Zeph come to, had come down I live in the Philly area and he came down a few years back um and he was doing a solo show and he was opening up for uh I'm trying to find the guy's name right now um Jim uh you probably know, you'll yeah, know no, I, I think I know Jim Campolongo maybe it wasn't Campolongo it wasn't Campolongo uh, I'm wondering all right yeah we'll, we'll get it we'll get it go we'll ahead we'll get it but yeah. um I'll come back to it and find his name. I'll, I'll switch to this other story. Just recently, yeah, um, I was talking to an editor that I'd never worked with before, and she was, you know, talking to my agent, and she was pitching me to illustrate a book that someone else had written, and I, I did sign on the book, and um, and she's like, you know, I, I don't know if this is appropriate to mention, but she's like, I was at the show, and uh, you know, <laughs> there was this there was this guy named Zephaniah Horan. It's so the so close to zach's name like are, they must be brothers or something he was this great you know musician and da 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 and then so i end up talking to her i'm like yeah that, that is definitely my brother where was this <laughs> i love this thing. and uh it was at the neil casals uh memorial concert played at the capitol theater i was like yeah i was there at that show too i don't know i still haven't met her in person ever but she had worked on um on a book of uh of neil's photographs like she because she works in children's but she also worked in uh art books she has a music background so she had worked with neil in the past and and had become friends with him um so that was like you know that's one example like where you're like oh my god like that's a lot but um jim lauderdale is who i was trying to think jim of. lauderdale okay you know who, you know no, who not, that is not hip to, but i mean i'm not i'm not, a, no, I'm not that hip a cat so i, I don't I, know what I, yeah. I don't know about that, man. I was looking at your list of people you interviewed. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, it's all right. Um, <laughs> well, and it, Jim Lauderdale, like, I think you and I share a lot more, um, you know, like my background and interest in music definitely stems from more of a jazz and soul uh, area. You know, it, it goes everywhere, but that's the basis. But so I don't really know a lot of like singer songwriter more on the countryside of things like Zeph does. 
But Jim Lauderdale, I think he worked with uh, he did some stuff with uh, actually with Jerry and, and the dead and stuff. But um, he's kind of like one of those Nashville songwriters that like he's a musician's musician that people don't know his name, but he's written great, great songs. And um, but Zeph was opening up for him. And I I took a photo of, of just like the sign, you know, before I was going into it. And I had I was working with this woman um, who lives in San Diego, who I, I've never met. Uh, we and she wrote this book called uh, "Bikes for Sale." And I just finished illustrating it, and uh, she texts. I I posted on Instagram just the photo of just their names together. She's like, "Is that your brother?" She texted me on the side. I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "Well, Jim Lauderdale is my cousin." <laughs> Jeez, like, my what? God! Like, what are you talking about? Um, and uh like so we've had like there's been a number of like really weird synchronicity things um see you know, I, here's but, the thing I, I this is i mean i don't want this is gonna go like into a deeper first of all this guy lauderdale's a very heavy cat he yeah. hang he hung out with roland white uh and uh roland was well he great mandolin player but i mean okay. this very heavy dude yeah um and so i but you know like okay so you talk about you use the word synchronicity i my yeah. i Zeph and I have spent a lot of time talking about, yeah. um, you know, spirit and source. And I sure. grew up essentially, I don't know what the right word is, uh, agnostic or uh-huh. my folks were, they actually don't realize how spiritual they are. But, you know, I was, I, my dad was yeah. Jewish, my mom was Catholic. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so, I, you know, they grew up with the idea of, oh, what a coincidence. But there aren't, right. in my mind and my life, in my journey, yeah. there are no coincidences. For sure. And yeah. I just wonder about, you know, not the the sugar ban or the no TV or the no radio or yeah. sort of, you know, that kind of like push away from any kind of modernization. But at the yeah. source, when you felt like you had connected with the spirit, I just wonder how yeah. – because you guys as a family, I mean, to me, like all this stuff just revolves around the fact that um, you guys are all connected by – by 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 source and i just wanted you to talk a little as a family i talk a little bit about like how you you wound up staying true to your connection to source without being resentful of the fact that maybe your family had an unorthodox way of raising you guys (laughs) still working through the uh absolutely not to be resentful part yeah yeah (laughs) uh you know i think well you know i've had enough years to like really think about it uh and i you know i like we grew up in a very like very strict like post jesus movement born again fundamentalist right wing you know waiting for the rapture jesus is coming any second kind of thing my god so that sort of um you know like that atmosphere and that sort of constant thing sort of it when i was younger you know, it made me feel like, uh, you know, I was born too late. The end of the world was going to happen. It was inevitable there. You know, all the adults in my life were telling me it's going to happen any day. And so I kind of like had a, you know, it kind of formed into like an angry nihilism where you're like, well, what is the point of anything? If, you know, if life's going to be over any second, because the world is, <laughs> ending, you know, like, Absolutely. what's the point of anything? Like, what's the point of planning for the future? And, um, so there was sort of like a, a hopelessness that turned into like a real chip on the shoulder, resentful rebelliousness that kind of came out of that. But now with a, like, you know, as soon as I got out of the house, you know, I left, 
I moved out when I was like 16, but, um, the, you know, with, with years to look back on it, I am appreciative of, um, not so much the dogma that we grew up with because I reject most of it, but I do appreciate that idea of spirit and sort of, uh, you know, being aware of that, like, we're not just uh, mental, physical, emotional human beings. Like there is a spiritual aspect of everything and that there's more than one reality. You know, like there's more to this reality than just what we can see and touch with our five senses. I love it. Uh, I freaking so love no, I mean, it. Like, no, I mean like, but, and, and obviously, you i mean your kids are a little right around my kids ages but i mean i i also try to talk to them about the fact that i don't know if the word is faith or but 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 there's this resolve or this deep well of inspiration that comes from the what you just talked about even though they were somewhat you know like the lauderdale example other things like that you know to me like you go beyond the percentage of coincidence it's unquantifiable Mm -hmm. There's yeah. something beyond. We don't really can't explain it. We don't really know it, but yeah. it's there. And we For grew sure. up in this time now where our kids are basically being told or force fed yeah. the idea that everything is knowable. And right. yet I try to say that there are, right. there are miracles. There are things that happen <laughs> totally. beyond, you know? And yeah. I think I, 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 give I, re- you, I give you a lot of credit. For, yeah. I, I just give you a lot of credit for being able to keep your heart I th- ultimately, how did you learn to? I mean, you you went out on your own. You're, it's not like your folk. You weren't a trust fund kid. It was not. I mean, you had no, a you know. No. Bill, I mean, how did you? Absolutely. How have you? How did you learn to keep your heart open, even though you received a lot of jaded knowledge? I mean, clearly, yeah. we're still here. The rapture has not come yet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Some some might disagree, uh, but I mean, you know, we're in, we're in crazy times, but still. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. How, how, I just want you to talk um, to people how you kept yeah. your heart open. You know, you know, it was, um, you know, traveling, meeting other people, but a lot of it, honestly, uh, was, you know, just taking a lot of like LSD. Well, let's talk about honest. that. I mean, what, so, yeah. so let's, I mean, because I know Zeph was, uh, he's younger than you, but right. Yeah. He, so yeah, he, we're, he, yeah, we're like he, 10 years apart. Yeah. He was dosing very hard in like the Cambridge, Boston area. Yeah. Can, you, can you talk a little bit about like, where the setting and the kind of LSD sure. you got your hands on and ultimately the reality yeah. of things just sort of um, being oh, able yeah. to sort of sit, sit in the mess. The floor is yours. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I went right to the epicenter of that. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I graduated high school in 1992 mm. and mm. Um, I, you know, hitchhiked out to, uh, we have some family in San Francisco. We didn't really know like San Francisco Bay area outside of San Francisco. So, and I was, you know, really into Kerouac and the beats and, you know, William Burroughs and Bukowski and, you know, reading those kinds of books. Um, right. And I wasn't into the dead yet, but um you know, hitchhiking out there and um, settling in San Francisco eventually after four or five months of hitchhiking up and down the coast, you know, Route 1 and, you know, went up in Big Sur and read Big Sur and while I was up in Big Sur. And, wow. Um, you know, uh, I had some really good friends, like all my roommates were in, you know, hardcore deadheads. Um and they had a really good, which now in hindsight, I realized like it was a little secretive, but we always had like a, a, a liquid vial 
a really good, really pure liquid LSD in the fridge that uh, definitely came from like the Nick Sands uh, lab wow. you know, wow. era. You know, I think at that point he might have been up. I know that like my roommates went to Bellinas and like, you know, re-upped on it, but it was all very secretive. So I don't know exactly who and what, but, you know, looking at the timeline and, and uh, after seeing the documentary about him and stuff, I was like, because I remember like when he got busted uh a couple years later with like 95 96 you know like that was like it all of a sudden like that liquid lsd you know connection dried up and and my roommates were really upset um <laughs> were they like were you were they maybe just kind of taking eye drops a little bit like put a little drop in there i remember people talking yeah. billy kreutzman well, they used to take bottle caps like and just sort of yeah. put in your eyes you know yeah, uh, we mainly we just like there was it was a dropper and we would drop it in our hand and you kind of lick it off your own hand. You know, I didn't really. It always seemed weird. I know people did that, but it seemed weird to like stick it right in your eye. <laughs> I know. I'm so. <laughs> I like to stick anything in my eyes. You know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you lick it off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, but it was like it was a very intentional. Um, you know, I mean, we we're also, you know, we're following the dead around, you know, I, I went to see a lot of shows on the West Coast, not the best era of the dead, but, you know, the, you know, the experience of it was was still, you know, a pretty heavy thing. But it was very intentional. You know, if I was doing mushrooms, I was, you know, fasting for a day before, uh, you know, set and setting and, and you know, yeah, it was partying and having fun, but it was definitely like trying to, you know, reach for the secrets of the universe you know access those things and um you know and all the you know sort of cliche things that you think about of those experiences like definitely happened and were super profound you know the the illusion that we're all separate you know beings and you know all that kind of stuff you know kind of circles back to what you're talking about with there is no real um coincidence absolutely you know, absolutely is yeah. probably the, like the better word for it um so, you know, a couple of years of uh, doing that, you know, regularly every weekend or a couple of times a week and just, you know, really, you know, just laying out on the floor and, uh, you know, putting on, you know, you know, old dead, uh, you know, like my my roommate had a dat machine and we're listening to that stuff and oh. I was really, really into Frank Zappa and, and getting really into jazz and stuff. So it was a lot of deep, you know, uh, exploration of music and, you know, just discussing, you know, the mysteries, you know, all the great mysteries. What 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 do you feel about how, um, not that it opened your worldview, but just the idea that it uh, gave you permission in the most vulnerable moments to forgive your parents? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it actually it made me see their humanity. Exactly. Uh, and it helped me to, for a while at least, you know, like I was able to, you know, sort of forgive where they're coming from and, um, and connect with them and, and just kind of love them as, you know, uh, as people. Um, but you know, like that, a little bit of that wears off. <laughs> Absolutely. Time, no, you know I mean, I mean? you know, like, totally. You probably, I, yeah, you probably have to go back to the source and flush the pipes out every once in a while. <laughs> like, back in touch, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, you, for a couple questions just popped into my head. Yeah. Are you yeah. hip? Are you hip to uh, William Steig? The uh, the children? oh yeah, okay, oh, yeah, so, big fan. So so Steig, I mean, I grew up with his books, but then 
you must know Jeremy Stag, his son, right? Of the, course. The, okay, yeah, so the they, player. Yeah. I'm just thinking, like, I know you're not father to son here, but that's you and Zeph right there. You know, it's like Will <laughs> Stag. Because, I mean, yeah. Jeremy, Jeremy was – such a genius. Those guys were cutting oh, yeah. tape and splicing tape. And totally. I mean, that was, and, but Williams, it's just, it's beautiful uh, to me. Like that dude was such it, a badass. He, oh, his drawings have so many levels to them too. They're pretty incredible. Yeah. I, I love Jeremy Steig. I love, uh, I love his work with like the early stuff with the Satyrs, which is kind of more like. Dude, Denny Zeitlin, dude, that shit is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, Denny Zeitlin, all the, yeah. that, I have all those records, man. I love, and of course, you know, I mean, just like everybody else, it was like I found, you know, Howling for Judy. I found through there you the go. Boys, you know. Um, well, no, then, then there, there's like all these – there's a couple of Blue Note albums. There's one where he's sitting yeah. on a dock, and it's a really weird quartet, yeah. like very – but that dude, I've interviewed so many cats who worked with him, and he was such a, a brilliant yeah. guy, and I, I regret not being able to, to talk to him. But, I, you know, I want to read this. I, I'm not sure if you're hip to yeah. the – concert promoter john Shear, but uh, I, I i am aware through you know the dead, dead no, you're, you're a music head yeah. so i want to i want to read you this this quote from uh from one of our interviews and then have you react to it yeah. especially as especially as it relates to your time in the early 90s in san francisco <clears throat> he said he said <laughs> i was just reading polestar which is one of the trade magazines of the music industry you look at the top 10 grossing shows of the recent past you're talking about average ticket prices that are beyond the means of the average middle-class family. If the average ticket is $125 times two, you and your significant other, parking and tolls and, a, and gas, a beer and a hot dog, let alone dinner, adds up to the point. If you're a family that operates on a $75,000 or $100,000 a year income, you're not going to do that very often. Average tickets for the Foo Fighters, who were the biggest grossing draw, this is, interview was about 10 years ago, was mm – -hmm. $82.18. Then you go to Andre Bocelli, and it's 177 to Fleetwood Mac, which is 131 Justin Timberlake, 120 Those are the average ticket prices. If the average ticket price for Fleetwood Mac is $131, then you know the top tickets are over 200 mm -hmm. The middle class cannot afford to go to, these, these, to go to concerts or very many of them because when you start having to decide between having enough lunch money versus – going to a concert, it starts to become a little easier decision, or paying your gas and electric bill or your mortgage for that matter. That's all being caused by the consolidation of the concert business with Live Nation leading the way. The Justice Department, for one reason or another, has allowed the consolidation to continue. A few years ago, Live Nation and Ticketmaster merged. Ticketmaster is overwhelmingly the largest ticket operation in North America. It's a good operation, but as an independent concert promoter, they sell my tickets. Therefore, the information about the customers who come to my shows gets handed to my biggest competitor. At this point, they don't even make decisions. Uh, they don't even believe they don't share it with the concert division. The, public's are, the public is really the ones who have suffered the most. I don't see an end to it, to be perfectly candid with you. Now, um, I factor all that in. That was, a, that was 10 years ago, and things have only consolidated more. What yeah. was the vibe like about not that you were an independent concert promoter, but just the idea of being able to see heavy acts just pop up mm -hmm. out of the blue in the regional area of San Francisco. Because to me, that was the magic of music at that time, whether it was jazz or psychedelic yeah. rock, was just 
there, not everything was so consolidated. So, you know, you might look at the local rag and be like, oh, shoot, right. you know, this cat's playing here. You know, I just wanted you to talk about that vibe because you when I talked to to, to Zeph um, when, when he first hit me to you, yeah. he was like he's like my brother was really at the epicenter of sort of that last taste. Last of, gasp. Yeah, man, I want <laughs> you to break it. The floor is yours, man. Break it down. Uh, yeah. I, um, you know, uh, as someone that was, you know, 19, 20, 21, uh, just what you're saying, I mean, tickets were cheaper, um, but, you know, I was willing to sacrifice, you know, other qualities of life in order to go to concert experiences and have those experiences. You know, that was sort of my number one priority if I had any, you know, extra money, not that there was extra, but. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Um you know, um, I, I was lucky to sort of like the um, the family dog had re up reopened um, wow. Sailor's wow. Hall and stuff. And they were just kind of, you know, um, there was a lot of shows there, um, you know, anything dead related. Of course, Jerry was playing the Warfield all the time. So we're bopping down there. Um, but then also like people like, um, uh, you know, they would have like free, you know, concerts on the sol summer solstice, you know, where you could see, you know, Ramblin' Jack Elliott or um, um, Harvey, uh, you know, Harvey, Snake. Uh, Harvey Mandel, Harvey Mandel, like, oh, you know, see yeah. him and, you know, like all these, you know, like well, the first time I ever wandered into Golden Gate Park, it was like, the remnants of uh you know jefferson airplane were playing a show there or something like that and and it it was very much still kind of a freaky town at, at the time when i got there um and then uh, a few years later uh well a couple of things happened one was I, I worked at a sign shop south of market and we always listened to uh, uh kpoo which was like the local jazz station that was on divisadero street and they had, uh, and I attended, there was a, the John Coltrane Church was on Divisadero. That is uh, so beautiful, man. Uh, go ahead, like continue. A, this is unbelievable. A, a block from my house. And um, and I would go there on Sundays and, and listen, you know, and there were long services where they would serve dinner after and they would play the whole Love Supreme and, and all that stuff. And it was incredible. Um, oh so my one, of the, God. one of the sisters of that church also ran a Coltrane show on Tuesday mornings uh, on KPOO. And, you know, it didn't have a, like a large broadcast. Uh, it was pretty local. Um, and they would give away tickets to uh, shows at Yoshi's all the time. If you were like, you know, the, the, the 10th caller or whatever. And I'd be at work and I just have, you know, I'd have the KPOO number like dialed into like all 10, you know, lines at the place. And I would win tickets like every I week. I love it, dude. They never, they, they never like you gave your name and like, it was, it wasn't like a corporate radio station. So they didn't ever limit you. So I would go every week to see these free shows at Yoshi's and, you know, with Pharaoh Sanders and, you know, uh, Ahmad Jamal and, um, wow. Dewey, you know, like who was, was it, who was local? Like Dewey Redman or Bishop Norman Dewey Williams? Dewey Redman was, yeah. yeah though all those guys were around yeah. local um i billy higgins was like playing with every i think he must have lived in the bay area because he seemed like he was playing with everybody like i kind of always dude i cannot believe you were seeing billy higgins at yoshi's every week dude. that's insane pretty much all it was crazy um so there was that and then i i it took me a few years to get my act together to actually go to college i, I went to uh california college of arts and crafts uh in san francisco and oakland uh when i was like 24 
and I met a buddy there who was also like a heavy jazz head. And uh, he was working for the San Francisco Jazz Festival. And um, so he got me a gig at the Jazz Festival. At first, we were sort of like, they would they would have like three shows a night. And we were like, the, we drove the equipment truck because <laughs> some of the shows were set up like in the SF Opera House or the Masonic Hall or, or Grace Cathedral or whatever. But they also had to set up stuff in other areas or outside. So we were, you know, running all the equipment and we had this huge truck we were driving. And I did that for a couple, um, uh, probably like one year, they had like a spring and a fall festival. And then I asked to be moved to be a driver. And then I got to pick everybody up at the airport, bring them to the show, bring them to their hotel, oh hang out backstage, God. get them wreck Simon records. So like, like in, in the next year, I was like driving Elvin Jones around with his wife. And oh, with uh, the, the, wait, what was her name? Uh, uh, I have it on the tip uh, of my tongue. Japanese cat. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and she kind of spoke mostly for him. Like she was like a real boss. Like she was. A oh scared. my! I cannot believe you were hanging with uh, Elvin in the car, driving Elvin around. That's Charles awesome. Lloyd. I spent a day with Charles Lloyd. A day? Uh, you spent uh, a full day with Charles Lloyd? Like Lloyd. just from like you know bringing him back and forth from soundcheck and you know chatting with him with stuff and. Oh my god, and, that is sick. <laughs> just amazing, amazing people like Yusef. I spent a day with Yusef Latif. Just oh. <laughs> took him for like some halal food. Um, <laughs> yeah those yeah. guys were like yo man like yeah i'm hungry get me some let's get some grub yeah you know? yeah and like so, there yeah. was times where like we just had to kill some time before something was ready and um and i knew how like unbelievable you know a i was such like a massive fan and and you know had all these guys records at home and you know i i wish i brought more records to sign but it was you know whatever kind of frowned upon and and you know and it was like you know you don't you don't want to be that guy no, but, dude, you were um, a hard. You know, you're not a fanboy. You're a hardcore dude, man. You know, it's like I, you're not bringing a freaking record to get signed. You know, yeah, you're hanging with I these mean, guys. Get, that's the thing. I, I did. I did get some sign. I mean, a, a funny one that you'll probably yeah. appreciate is that um, I had to drive McCoy Tyner to the airport, and um, <laughs> I was I like, well, this, I, "I'm just. I'm going to get him to sign a record. Like, I don't care if I seem like you know a fanboy. I just. I. I can't not it's do McCoy, it. dude. Come on." I mean, come on. And um, so I'm looking through all my coaching records. And, and as you know, like most of those records have very dark covers. Like they don't like a, a Sharpie isn't going to show up. On Absolutely. The cover. Black. Absolutely. So I picked um, uh, Ascension. Dude, it's, uh, I, I'm listening. It's I was I was going to say I, it's downstairs. I'm like, it's a white cover. ABC yeah. impulse. That's yeah. the one to get signed. Yeah, I'm like, all right, it's it's gonna. This is the one because it, it'll show up. Now I didn't know until years later, and he signed it. He was gracious about it, and um, but here's the rub: is that like that's the recording that made him leave the quartet because he hated it so much. Re okay, and so I I was thinking first off, oh my god, I haven't looked at. The, there's some different cats on there. I at first I thought maybe he's not on there, but he was on there, and he just that, he he had to walk away that's the last record because like what Coltrane where, where the direction he was going on um, McCoy didn't feel like there was any, any room for him to play anything. He was just kind of like, you know, the barrage of sound was like pushing out any space that he had to do what he did. And that's what made him quit the band. He was and also, I, I mean, was he, I'm curious. 
I feel like at that point he was ready to take on his own band anyway. He was ready to be a leader. For sure. Like, yeah, yeah I think, um, you know, expansions or whatever, like those records came out right exactly. after. Exactly, right. If, if they were probably being recorded at the same time, but, um, you know, it was just like, it felt like a gaffe to me who, like, I considered myself, like, kind of a scholar of Coltrane Quartet. You know, they seemed to, like, they're one peak of, you know, you know, like the heavy duty, like real spiritual intent. Absolutely, man. Gee. Uh, but to make the guy sign the, the you know, like the, the thorn in his side of like the <laughs> album that made him leave the Coltrane Quartet. I'm like just trying to think about like live at Birdland, uh, you know, yeah. uh, all Seattle, like all the, those, those covers are, you, a Sharpie would never be seen on those. Yeah, so I, you were kind yeah. of like, it's kind of a catch 22 for you. Maybe like my that. favorite things or something that has like a blue cover, but like mo all those impulse records are like dark, dark, cover, you know, various shadowy fo photography on them. <laughs> I just wonder about like, it's just sort of like a metaphysical question, but I, I don't yeah. care how much uh, that you do that KP OO or the, yeah. the okay. Like, I don't care how big a reach it had. I just yeah. wonder, like, sociologically, I mean, obviously you were uh, you were a freak like me. You were calling it, getting the yeah. tickets and listening. But, like, the fact that that music was still being pumped out to the masses, oh, yeah. I, I just wonder what you feel like. Because that music, Charles Lloyd music and Yousef's yeah. music and, and Elvin with Train, mm -hmm. that is not, I mean, that's jazz, but that's yeah. actually more spiritual music. For sure. It's like healing sure. music. And I just wonder, like, you know, to me, I have a big problem now with the corporate stranglehold. A lot. I'm not saying they're dictating from the top, but right. music now, especially, they don't want to play music like that, especially on the radio, because they don't want to disturb people. Because a lot of that music can be very pr provoking in some yeah. ways. You, you know, you can be introspective. And, and to me, like, that's the only way you can grow. You're not, music yeah. is not made for pacification. Yeah, I don't want to hear yeah. smooth jazz. And I just wonder, like, uh, do you feel like that even at that time that it was helpful to be pumping out Coltrane, even on a, on a local station, how that helps society evolve in that? Cause you know, in the, in the mid nineties, that's when I went to college, there was, yeah. you know, you had Medeski Martin and Wood, you had sort of this sure. rebirth of, uh, of really good conversational music and right. I, do you think it played a part that lack of restriction was still there and I, I'm wondering if you yeah. think that, that that played a role in sort of still evolving consciousness we weren't in the front row of the vanguard to sea train but right just right. the idea that it was still being played is remarkable yeah. well I mean particularly that show because it was like one of the sisters that was in the Coltrane church like they were upfront about like he's their patron saint like he was actually like the african orthodox church like gave okay for them to have coltrane be their patron saint so like they were they were upfront that it was a spiritual mission um and they talked about it throughout the show so like what they were doing you know like they were you know they were on a mission and you know i heard it <laughs> Um, but he was he was like he was the he was the the uh, he was he was god essentially i mean he was the god figure is that fair to say well, and, and his, i you know i think that they i'm I sorry mean, i don't want to butcher that stuff i just i'm trying they, to yeah go ahead I, I think that they they recognize uh you know because they you know they were also like 
Jesus-based church or whatever, um, the, but they recognize that in in the moment of Coltrane's playing, that he is a vessel for the divine. That's right. So he the transformation of, uh, of him playing uh, elevates him to like a, a vessel of the Holy Spirit or something of God. So in that moment, he is, there's no separation. He's not God per se, but there's no separation between him and God because he is so open to communing with the divine and letting it flow through him. And that, that I think was the most important uh, aspect of it. It's incredibly articulate. Um, you know, we're going to have to do set two because I, I, this is like, this is, I, we have so much more to get to, but I mean, can you just talk about being a music head, being somebody who in my mind has great taste in music? I mean, just the albums that I saw on fuzzy town was like, you know, my man, I mean, a guy that, you know, I, that really put me on my path was Cal Jader and, you know, oh, Roy, man. Roy Ayers and, yeah, you know, like all the these beautiful cats, Milt Jackson and all, I, you know, is music was it ever i know zeph found a, a, his groove to a degree with the <clears throat> sort of the, the 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 dude at the church that you guys grew up with yeah, he had the shades yeah. on he was smoking yeah, cigs, yeah. and you know zeph got yeah. into the band that yeah. the, the idea the nexus between being a conduit for 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 yeah. God, for the spirit and music like that to me has saved me the last few years and i just wanted you to talk a little bit about while it's not like where you said he at that point when he was channeling and 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 he was just a vessel for the divine and yeah. how, when did you when did that sink in with you was that when you started to go to shows on LSD did that happen early on because to me I don't think a lot of regular cats understand the power yeah. and the healing power of rhythm yeah and spiritual music because they're basically having digital beats crunched into their ears and they don't know totally. what it, what it's really about. And I just, totally. when did that dawn on you? Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, similarly to Zeph, you know, like there were, I mean, the music in that church was not great, but they were all trying to be like, sort of like post Dylan, the band, totally, whatever. so they did have moments when they were like stretching it out that, we sort of recognize in the Grateful Dead, you know, those, and we, we always joke about, you know, worship band Bobby or whatever moments. <laughs> um, and they're like, those are like, those are the moments where like you get the goosebumps and everybody in the audience, there's no difference between the audience and the people on stage and, you know, everyone's connected. And, and those are, I mean, even as a kid that was, um, we recognize that as like special moments and for sure I was, you know, following that in music and definitely, you know, LSD kind of made my ears even, you know, uh, bigger. And, but, you know, we were, we were always intentionally listening we always loved music. And it was like the difference between being passive listeners and intentional listeners is great. And, you know, not everyone is interested in being uh, uh, more than a passive listener to music, but we were kind of always had that in us already. But certainly those experiences and LSD for sure and going to shows high, like took that to another level for like no doubt about it. And then you kind of realize like, oh, this is what human beings have always done. Like, yeah, the Grateful Dead was this thing that was like for 30 years or whatever, but like, this is just a reincarnation of a very ancient thing that's like crucial to humanity, you know. Zachariah, I am 
actually in a bit of a well, it's, it, I don't need to go into it right now. Let's do set two really soon, man. I it's such a ball talk. Good luck, to you, man. Uh, All right, man. I, yeah, I appreciate it. You got uh, a lot more to have me, man. This is uh, this is great. Good. I I love to talk about this. I can talk about it forever. Yeah, we will. Uh, yeah, much love, man. All right, likewise, uh, talk, man. Talk to you soon, brother. All right, take care. Peace, man. Peace.